my friends who listen to Future Primitive. I have two wonderful visitors here today, Kathy Skipper and Florian Birkmeier, MD. Kathy Skipper is English by birth. She lived her adult life in France, where she farmed and worked as a herbalist and aromatherapist. She's taught practical herbalism, botany, and aromatherapy at l'Ecole Lyonnaise de Plantes Médicinales in Lyon. That means School of Medicinal Plants in Lyon. And she has also studied for four years with an energetic healer called uh, Caroline Gupta. She uh, gives uh, workshops all over the world, and she has now more or less left the continent of Europe to come and live here in the Southwest with her partner, Florian Brookmeyer, and they're both uh, centered around plant medicine, Carl Jung, and the psyche. Florian Berkmeyer is a wounded healer and the co-developer with Kathy Skipper of Aroma Gnosis, which synthesizes Jungian depth psychology and aromatherapy. Florian previously served as the director of the Dual Diagnosis Clinic at the University of New Mexico Psychiatric Center and as the director of the Substance Abuse Disorders Program at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Albuquerque. He has uh, diplomas from Columbia University and Princeton and all that good stuff and just, I mean, I'm happy that they're here today. So I want to begin with Kathy and I've been waiting all day to ask Kathy about your relationship with trees. Well, thank you. It's really nice to be here. And, um, well, my relationship with trees is a relationship like any other. It's part of my life. And um, I think my relationship with trees really um, has always been there, maybe for many lifetimes. But it developed as... um, Well, it was there as a child very much. I think they were like these pillars 
within a playground of nature. And I didn't really pay them any attention, but at the same time, they were very much a part of the playground that I I spent a lot of time in. And then as I got older and I uh, studied herbalism, I started really looking more in detail at all the plants that were and always had been a very part of big part of my life. My dad is a um, a gardener and the chairman of an English garden, and my son is a botanist, and my other son is a horticulturalist. So somehow my granddad was a doctor and a naturalist. So I think the plant world were, was always there, but you know, the relationship. When does it develop? It's always been there, but it develops in its own way as you pay more attention to things in more detail. And so I studied herbalism and started looking in more detail at the plants. And as I looked at them, it was as if, well, I knew them already, you know, in so many ways. But I suppose I added some scientific knowledge and some knowledge about their constituents and what they did. And still the trees stayed like these pillars, but that like masters, like spiritual masters, you don't just go up and say, hi, you know, um, I'm Kathy. And it's like, they are these beings that are there and they have this influence, but you don't, you know, you're not in relationship with them yet because you're not big enough. And little by little, I knew, you know, I started thinking, wow, the trees and tree medicine, but still there's something huge and and masterful and very spiritual about trees. And it took me a long time to be ready to really enter into an authentic and equal relationship with the trees. Not saying that I'm spiritual or masterful, but just that I felt ready to acknowledge that energy. And so... Um, I used to go to trees a lot on my own. That's how I began really to spend time with them before I made medicine with them. The medicine was feeling them. And um, then they took over, you know, in a way that that doorway became, yeah, like a doorway to a church or a doorway to the monastery. And uh, they took over and they've always been there. And um, so... I started working with a set of wands. I would work with a tree every month in Europe. I followed the Celtic tree calendar, which is another story because it's it was not sure that the Celts used the tree calendar in this way, but I needed a structure to choose a tree for each month. And I carried the wand with me everywhere. And it really was interesting to see how that tree energy spoke to me during a month. And now with Florian... We're doing the same, but with the trees of New Mexico. So it's really exciting. We're on our fifth tree or fourth tree. Fifth, I think. Um, you know, it's just such a nice way of getting to know trees. So I have a wild apple wand. Well, we have each one because we do the same each month. And, well, Florian, I, I'll let you say, but he always says it's like working with a flower essence when you're working with a tree wand. It's this sort of subtle infusion of um plant knowledge that filters through and at the same time as being subtle it's very powerful um so it's an ongoing relationship I'm learning the trees and learning to get to know the trees here and again it's a slow process it's you know when I was younger I wanted everything to go fast and even with the botany that I was learning in in France you know I wanted to know every tree and every plant and every flower and um now 
maybe it's New Mexico, it's Zen, mm. and I'm taking my time and spending much longer um, allowing the right tree or the right plant to speak to me at the right time. I think I might need many lifetimes. <laughs> I don't know why, but this just sounds terribly sexy. Um, there's this amazing illustration from the Middle Ages of uh, the alchemist and the alchemist's wife. So I want to ask Florian, how does it feel to be the alchemist's husband? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Joanna. Yes, it's interesting because it's both the wife and the sister. So there's the alchemical sister or the alchemical wife. And it is that archetypal duality, that tension, that yin-yang, that you have to not just read about and not just think about, but you have to live it on all these levels. And um, the, 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 in many of the illustrations I've seen of the alchemical sister, both the husband and the wife or the brother and the sister put their fingers on their lips mm -hmm. And that's the reminder that, you know, there's a secret knowledge. And I think that is really a theme. A theme is a silly word. The sense of mystery. You know, like I, there's what we know and then there's what we don't know. And, and, and in relationship, in, in discovering ourselves. And I think that's really important to remember You know, when we go through the alchemical process of marriage, if we go through the alchemical process of working together, it's easy to hit a road, a, a tough spot in the road. And in fact, there's there's a poem by Rumi where he talks about uh, the chickpeas in the stew and saying, why are you boiling me like this? And, the, and it hurts and the water's hot. And the cook says, well, yeah, but you make such a sweet stew. Mm -hmm. So if we remember that somewhere we're being cooked in an alchemical stew, I think it makes us endure and remember that this is about something bigger than my ego or your ego. There's, I think the plants remind us of that too because you realize, you know, with all the connections, the way trees talk to each other, the way the plants are constantly communicating, you know, we, we think we just have neurotransmitters within ourselves, but all the aromatic molecules are really neurotransmitters of the world soul I, yeah, I just go back to that sense of mystery, that sense of there's the numinous. You know, I know there's something there, but I don't quite know what it is yet. And that's that is a really magical thing to remember when you're an alchemical husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to give my opinion, and my opinion, quote unquote, is that. There's really nothing more important at this time than for us to develop uh, a relationship to our Earth family. I mean, I mean, what I mean, soil family, tree family, and um, and that's what you learn, and therefore that's what you teach, so that you can learn. So please share with us some of the things that you have learned lately. Yeah, thank you for saying that, because I was just thinking today, um, the only reason that I teach is so that I can learn. Mm -hmm. And 
that it's just like a circle and um you know we're always learning and i think i'm one of those people that needs to vocalize things to understand them mm-hmm. on one level i'm very feeling so i'll feel everything but i my mind is not very good at hanging on to words or authors or names or you know concepts and it all goes very fast but when i'm teaching it feels like what i'm learning gets blended together with something that i channel and it becomes a conversation with my with the students and with myself and with the trees and with something bigger than all of us and so teaching becomes a mystical experience and that's why i think um i'm a teacher and i did think this week why am i a teacher and is that what my soul really wants and i think that teaching and writing is where i find something beyond me that can come through and i find um one of my big problems is like i said it's very difficult for me to hang on to the right word the right author the right this the conversations go fast i don't know what's happening but when i'm teaching or i'm writing when it's right this bigger than me thing can come and that's when i feel good because i'm bringing through me something and because it's to do with the trees and the plants and now much more the animals as well like you said before this conversation i'm here to do some good or to to be authentic and help and i think that's the way that i can help which is this connection that i think i've been gifted naturally which is maybe a counter kind of thing to the fact that the intellectual thing is difficult so this natural connection um is like a gift that i don't really have to try very hard and that's what i want to infuse so that that can be other people can also connect i yeah i was listening to um an interview with john o'donoghue a contemporary mystic poet who died in 2008 and he said something that has been resonating through my entire being he says uh, he says uh, god is not dead because god is a question and when you were talking i i just heard that question so alive in you um so either one of you if you want to pick up the thread right there i think or that, anywhere <laughs> that sense of connectedness is really important to stress i think that the human species is really dying right now and if you think about it uh, i don't mean to offend anyone but what's the core issue with a cancer in a body it is that the cells in the cancer are no longer connected that there isn't that sense of we're part of something bigger they become selfish and so the disconnected humans are really like cancer cells on the earth we're growing too fast we're destroying the host so if we don't remember our connectedness our deep connectedness at all levels 
you know, we're going to go extinct. Uh, nature's nature's going to be fine, but we're going to go. And so what our class that we're teaching now and our theme may seem esoteric, you know, Jung, whatever, aromatherapy, whatever, but it's really about connectedness. And I want to elaborate on that. Uh, the idea that we are just this human shell, most of us, I think, have some sense that can't be true. But let me give you some practical examples. Uh, why do we have dopamine and serotonin as neurotransmitters? This is a question that puzzled me since I was a kid because my grandfather was a famous neurologist. And it's like dopamine is not a very useful molecule. You know, it breaks down, forms a poisonous product. Why would, why would nature or whoever design that? But then I realized it was a plant molecule for millennia before it was an animal molecule, human molecule. Mm -hmm. And so basically, I would say that the plants wanted to be sure that they could communicate with us. You know, all these receptors we have for dopamine, serotonin, cannabinoids, whatever it is, they're not just internal. We are in surrounded and the, the molecules are just sort of the reality of the 20th and 21st century. I mean, you know, the spiritual connection is there, but we're also molecularly connected. Smells, the volatile molecules in the air, to me, are the neurotransmitters of the world soul. You know, mm -hmm. they're not just neurotransmitters aren't just within us, but between all of us. But now we've cut ourselves off. We live in artificial environments. We stare at our screens. We are disconnected. And if we don't connect we're going to go extinct, which you know, might not be such a bad thing. So, very straight question to Kathy. Connect with what? Well, I wanted to... What you said about God being a question yes. is really... I have never heard that, but um, you saying it. Um, for me, the connection... And God being a question is that in order to connect, you have to be empty. You have to have a space that isn't full of um, expectation, um, ideas. It, there has to be an emptiness, somehow an allowing. And for me, that's when you say God is a question, that is the question, because in that space, there is nothing. And then there's the connection. The connection can only come in that space. And we never know what that connection is. And the minute we think we expect it to be a certain way or we want it to be this way or we're going to visualize something, then that's no longer, the connection is no longer there. So for me, the connection with nature is about being a passive, being passive and allowing. And one of the things that in our class we teach, and I have to say, I was taught, I was taught this in France by, um, the teacher who taught me about plant connection um, in a very pedagog pedagogic, do you say that in English, mm -hmm. educational way. But one of the things that was important and that I teach to my students is let the plants and the trees lead the way. And that, for me, is a vital change in perspective because we're always trying to do something, expect something, think something, say something. Um, and in fact by just being a vessel and allowing the plants to lead the way, then we connect. 
and we connect with beings that are master connectors and master communicators. That's what they do every moment that they're alive. They communicate with their environment. They communicate with each other. Like Florian said, the molecule, the aromatic molecules, but not just the aromatic molecules. Everything about them is to do with communication. So they know what they're doing. And if we allow and let the plant or the tree lead, then we get somewhere. And it's a beautiful feeling of being filled by uh, another being. But how to get past this this idea of separation between us and the plant world, the molecular world, how to get past that? Um, I just... I, I want to say this. You see, this is the, the essence of a good teacher, is while you were talking, I just understood something about myself. And that's the essence. For such a long time, I've been saying I'm superficial. And I up till now, I always thought that I was joking or being falsely humble. But I understood when you were talking that that's a way that I have to say that I'm empty. I'm ready to receive. So thank you for that. Uh, so how to get past our, our sense of separation with the, with the natural world that we are? I think that's an excellent question. Uh, one of the themes that has been really a radical, allowed me to have a radical change in perspective is the whole notion of the microcosm and the macrocosm. And, you know, many people think that's a nice metaphor. Oh, the, the macrocosm is like the microcosm. And, you know, your, your root chakra is sort of like Saturn or something, you know. But what we have to realize is that the reality we see is purely a product of our mind. You know, the, the quantum mechanics says that things don't happen until you observe them. Everything is a state, in a state of potentiality. And at every choice point, the universe splits into multiple universes. So, you know, one of the things that puzzles me about reality is like, why am I in this one? Why didn't I, you know, take that left turn two days ago? And why is my consciousness in this reality? But that is the microcosm, macrocosm thing. Re reading Jung, and I think it's sort of, it's in the Red Book, And I think he tried to wrap his head around it, and he just, like many, you know, his writings were of his time, so there's many things I think he was afraid to say. But the microcosm truly is the macrocosm. When, you know, look, take a fractal. You know, we, we have all these Fibonacci sequences, our, the fibers in our heart muscle follow the shape of a Fibonacci sequence. So, we, you know, we, we all know we're fractals. You know, the, the dendrites, I mean, our neuronal connections are named after the trees and look like trees. But that's still at this metaphor level. Oh, they look like trees. But in a fractal, if you look, if you, if you know a fractal, take the Mandelbrot set or any fractal you know, you can zoom in or out. You can go down or up. But how do you know? Are you at one magnification or 10 magnification or one tenth? You can't tell. So that's to me where the microcosm is the macrocosm. We, we are like a fractal. And again, we, we don't really know what it looks like. You know, if you were in the fractal and you'd look around, you'd probably think, well, this is all there is. But you're just one 
level of the fractal. I don't know if I'm making much sense, but the microcosm truly is the macrocosm. And it's not just a metaphor, and it's not just cute. The, this, uh, I found this newspaper, well, it's an article a few years ago where these physicists showed that you can represent all the functions of all the atoms reacting as a potential space that looks like a diamond. So maybe that is the jewel in the lotus. Mm -hmm. And the really interesting thing is that in that diamond space of all the things that matter does, time and space are not fundamental constants of that diamond. So what we think of as reality, you know, these supposed three dimensions and mm -hmm. time going one way is purely a product of the stories we tell ourselves. The microcosm truly is the macrocosm. And I think that's really important, and it ties into the notion of the wounded healer, is that in this day and age, I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed. The world is going to hell in so many different ways, seemingly. And so a lot of people, I think, feel a sense of paralysis. Like, how can I change the world? How can I stop, you know, the, all the things that, you know, substitute your favorite monster uh, or or thing that's going on in the macrocosm and if we restore balance in ourselves if we really fearlessly you know Jung said that we don't become enlightened by seeking more and more light but by fearlessly confronting the dark so we could, the, the the only way where we can really do that is within ourselves and when we work on ourselves because the microcosm is the macrocosm that's how we heal the world each of us as a wounded healer <coughs> has to work on ourselves, and then each of us becomes one of those thousand points of light, which is an old alchemical phrase mm -hmm. that's been misused. <laughs> so a, 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 a really good example of that, thank you, Jose, is uh, Jung's favorite story. And, you know, the story goes that Jung would always tell people, do you know the story of the Rainmaker? And all his friends would pretend, no, we've never heard it, so he could yeah. tell it one more time. And apparently it's based... I, I, I read the original description in the uh, uh, vision seminar. His best friend, Richard Wilhelm, who lived in China for many years, was in this village, and they had a drought, and they called this rainmaker who came from far, far away, and the rainmaker said, um, okay, just give me a little cabin, feed me three times a day, and let me be. And after about four or five days, the rainmaker was just in his cabin. It started to rain. And the rainmaker comes out of his cabin and goes to the mayor of the village and says, okay, you got to pay me now. And the mayor says, well, but you didn't do anything. And the rainmaker says, wrong. Where I come from, everything is in harmony, in balance, in Tao. And when I came here, I felt out of Tao. I felt out of balance. And it took me however long, four or five days, to find my balance again. And that's when the rain came. So that is the classic microcosm, macrocosm. Thank you, Jose, for reminding me. And uh, I want to ask Kathy, perhaps if we are to survive as a, as a species, uh, how can we have, how can we be restored to knowing that we have the dignity of a flower, of a tree, of an animal. We have that dignity that we see in a bear or in a poppy. 
Thank you. Well, I think one of the things I was thinking when Florian was talking about the macrocosm, microcosm, and it also joins up with um, your question is in plant communication, one of the things that I teach people to do is, for example, if they're with a tree or they just have a little branch of a tree or a flower and they're touching it and we've worked on getting into a, 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 a state of place where um, the communication can happen, I always say, say to yourself, I touch and I am touched. And um, so I touch the plant or the tree and I am touched by the plant and the tree or the tree. So um, just that small, again, change in perspective, perspective sorry, change in perspective the way that we look at something the way that we feel something we're so used to it's me touching everything but we're being Mm. touched and that in itself then allows this infusion from this other being from another species and then this mirror happens because we feel the being inside us and I mean, this happens a lot when I'm working with plants and trees, but I've actually been really lucky to have rescued a horse, a rescue horse called Splash. And um, the journey with him, you know, has opened up so many things with other species and in particular the horse species um, that you can't help but see the mirror. Everything this rescue horse is going through to learn to trust, to get over his trauma. He was starved. He um, was kept in a very small space. He was scared of open spaces. Um, He was scared of doing things wrong. Is everything that I also have to learn. So together by him touching me and me touching him, our two beings, our two souls, um, we're simultaneously learning to heal and it's a really beautiful story. People say in the horse world, people say there's just always you only have one special horse in your life. I don't know if that's true, but I do know that this is really the, an amazingly um, powerful healing journey just by mirroring. And so I think I can see the horse in me mm-hmm. and the and the horses have an amazingly feminine um, energy and they they say in French they're bride, which means you know bride is to be kept back with a bit in the mouth, you know held back bride. And as a woman, for most of my life, I felt bride. Yeah. And together with this horse, we're learning these tiny steps together, mirroring, touching, of healing, and. I think that happens with a flower. You know, today, one of my students came to visit and, you know, I gave her a few hours in the middle of the day and she's really into plant communication. It was funny because I took her to a place where there's some really nice plants and some hieroglyphs in the stones and I got out my loop. And I think she was surprised because she was waiting. She wanted us to do plant communication. And I wanted her just to look quite scientifically with the loop at the beauty and the um, what we don't see with the naked eye, because that in itself is also a way of touching and being touched. It's not just about the sort of mystic way we think about plant communication. It's every way we look our eyes, we communicate and with the plant with our eyes by seeing it through that loop and seeing its beauty. You're talking about fractals, and um, is another way of of going deeper and. Also, that reflecting into us, 
everything is an opportunity, in fact. Everything we touch is an opportunity to feel. And when we feel, then we allow the world in. And when we allow the world in, then we're much less likely to hurt it because it's not other things than us. You talked about separation. There's no more separation if we allow. And I think, you know, um, one of the things that's happened to me since I've arrived in New Mexico, at first, for a year and a half, I thought, I don't think I'm going to do botany again. I don't think I'm going to make medicine again. What's happening? I'm not going to the individual plants or trees. And then I realized what was happening was I was actually absorbing this place, this mm. powerful place. Mm. Was I was absorbing it as a synergy of the whole. It wasn't the individual plants or trees, or and it was this whole place and this very strong and unique place. And by absorbing it and it coming into me, it was um, again teaching me, or it wasn't even teaching, it was like a simultaneous symbiotic exchange or, or, or uh, it was forcing me to peel away what wasn't necessary as it does in its breathing self every day this you know the desert you can't have anything that's not necessary and that's what it was teaching me to do i think there are places that are especially peeling especially Places especially peel you. What do you think, Florian? I don't know who told me this, but a long time ago someone said the desert is Shiva's country, you know, uh, and Shiva, the destroyer. Uh The desert strips away everything that's not essential. And if you look at the plants here, there are these very bare-bones plants. If you took a plant like these tiny little flowers here that you can see from half a mile away. If you put them in a lush green forest in France, you wouldn't see them because there's so much else. But that's what it does to our nervous systems, our beings. And many, I mean, I've, I've lived here for almost 20 years now. A lot of people come to the desert and have to leave again. It, it spits them out. It's too raw. And yes, because they're, 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 they're not ready to be stripped of all the things that need to be stripped away. And then I think D.H. Lawrence, in his brief time here, at some I, I read the quote once, but um, he said that once the desert grabs you, it never lets go. So I know I'm a lifer here, and you know, I, I can't imagine living anywhere else. And I think there's, in listening to our conversation, one theme I want to stress mm-hmm. is the idea that what I said earlier, what Jung said about, you know, we become enlightened not by seeking more and more light, but by fearlessly confronting the dark. What to me is so comforting about Jung's view of alchemy is that it gives us a framework and again not just an intellectual framework but a really visceral framework for honoring all the darkness within us all the difficult stages the alchemical stages in Jung's view are really just representations of this of what the unconscious transformations we go through and there's some one stage is mortificatio when you feel like everything is dying or a stage is coagulatio when you you know you just you know the essence of it is the reward of patience is patience. So instead of saying, oh, this sucks, this is terrible, even though we have to feel that and say that, there's a little voice in the back of my head that says, well, I'm wondering what stage I'm in. And I think that's the unique, you know, we're not just, oh, this will, you know, make you live 20 years longer and will increase your IQ by 50 points. Is For me, the alchemical gold is in the alchemical 
massa confusa, our own psyche, and just to say, oh, I'm just going to clear, I'm going to remove all my complexes and neuroses. We need to transform them into the alchemical gold. And the way to do that is to confront them. And the way to confront them and not lose ourselves in them, lose ourselves in addiction or other self-destructive behaviors is, I think, the alchemical symbolism provides a framework. And then again, the aromas provide this powerful way of eliciting deep changes. So if you're in a really difficult stage, you can honor that stage by using aromas that are emblematic of that stage. And so you're not reading a book, which is important, but you can't, you know, you can't learn how to swim by reading a book. You have to go through it with your whole body. And that's where the aromas talk to you and teach you in a way that no amount of me talking or reading any book could teach you. So, dearest listeners, you're very lucky because if you live in this area or not, you could come to a two-day workshop with my two friends here. And that's happening in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, on Saturday and Sunday, September 30th and October 1st of this year, right now right soon and um, the title of the workshop is really beautiful and I'll say it and then I'm going to ask Kathy to um, say some words about it the workshop or the play field of this these two days is aromatherapy and the medicine of the soul the wounded healer the alchemical journey and the sacred union. Wow. Thank you. Well, yeah, I just want to join to um, what Florian was saying. This class is a class that I want to teach because it's the class that I would have wanted to find. Mm -hmm. And when I found this work through meeting my husband, it was the key I've been looking for because I think maybe through this interview um, I've been able to um, express that I'm a feeling person and that's where that's how I perceive the world but that wasn't enough somehow there were I needed a structure a framework uh, a language to be able to um, convey what I wanted to share in the teaching and this is what Carl Jung's work um, and um, his, especially the work on alchemy has really given to me. And um, for the last um, two and a half years, that's what I've been really working on 100% of the time. And it will be a tool that I'll use for the rest of my, it is the framework that I'm, I'm, I'm sure will be there for the rest of my life. So this class is about, it's a practical class where participants are active where there's going to be we hope and in the past classes um, a, a transformation because this is a journey of transformation and above that the framework that we're going to be sharing with you is something that you can take away and um, use it's a practical framework for the inner work and I know that I was just amazingly honored and pleased to have found this framework and we both have a strong desire to share it. So thank you. So we're bringing this conversation around 
And uh, Florian, you could tell us what um, what you what you will transmit, what you will attempt to transmit. Yeah, I think it's things we've talked about before. The number one thing is really to reawaken people to what is really our God-given inheritance, which is that sense of connectedness to nature around us, to the aromas as one vehicle of that connectedness, but it's really just a, a convenient conduit. There's many different ways to connect, but also really connectedness to ourselves, to our unconscious, to our dark parts, so that we can honor them and turn them into the alchemical gold. And that's there's a comfort in that. When, when it feels like the world's going crazy, when you think you're going crazy, we can work with that. And that's and, and, and in working with that, in fearlessly confronting the dark within ourselves as we feel, you know, the the transformations in the microcosm that is the macrocosm, this framework gives us a way to to work with it. it, it it's 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 ultimately for, for me it's comforting. You know, it's like I can I can I can even the most crazy, bizarre experience in life There is a way of looking at it alchemically, and that we all deserve a little comfort in this crazy time. <laughs> Define what the word alchemic, alchemical, alchemically means to you. Well, to me personally, it, again, it is to remember that all the darkness, all my wounds, all my traumas, all the things I wish were different about me are actually the gold, even if I don't see it yet. So it goes back to that sense of, oh, I may not know. There's, there's, you know, it's the old joke about the kid who's digging through a giant pile of manure and another guy comes up and says, why are you doing this? And he's like, well, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony here somewhere. So I'm still <laughs> looking for the pony inside of me. Kathy, what would you like to say to us in closing? I'd just like to say that I'm honored to have been able to share this for a start and to be able to talk about our work and that this work has been so transformative that I really want to share it. And um, I think the main themes are themes that are global. It's about the wounded healer. It's about the inner journey. It's about transforming our pain. It's about having the tools to do that. And like Florian said, the comforting aspect is like a ground. It's something that we can actually walk upon solidly. And we all need that in the world today. So I just feel really honored that this work has come into my life. And I want to throw it out like seeds that are going to grow into the rest of the world. So please come and join us. Thank you, both of you. Beautiful to be together. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Jose, for recording this. <laughs>